The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. There were three words I learned to never trust once I went into college, uh, mostly probably because of my choice of friends. And the words were this, this phrase, and if this phrase came out of really two of my friends in particular, I knew bad things were about to happen. And the phrase was this, dude, I swear. Anything that that phrase was attached to, bad news. Um, dude, I swear there's uh, not a hole in our waterbed, bad news. Dude, and yes, if you're wondering, our waterbed, there was a season, a very dark season in my life where um, my a friend, my roommate, was gifted a California King waterbed, and we lived in a one-bedroom apartment, and he said, dude, we'll just put pillows in the middle, and we'll put it sideways, and you'll sleep on that side, and I'll sleep on this side. He said, dude, I swear it won't be awkward. That's a lie. It's a, it's a dude, I swear, lie. Because I am the heavier person. If you've never experienced a waterbed, don't. But if you have to, if you must, heavier person becomes the center of gravity for all other persons who might be on said, dude, I swear I'm never doing that again. Okay. Um, this morning, Psalm, Psalm 89, you can flip there in your Bible. We're not going to have it on the screen. There's a lot of verses here. Um, psalm 89, it's a psalm by Ethan the Ezraites. It's a psalm that deals with something that I think is viscerally connected to the human experience. That is, that we, as humans, hear these things from God. God says this. God promises that. This is how God has created the world. And then life comes in, and it seems as though at times God is not in control. God does not have our best interests at heart. God does not possibly, uh, is not possibly keeping the promises he made to us. This is the subject matter of Psalm 89, that God promises these things. That life happens and it seems like God is out of control and the psalmist wants to know why. Now, if you um, have never experienced this, just keep living because life will throw difficult things at you and I. There is one thing that I need us to be sure of today. There's a frame, a lens that I need us to think through and that is the fact that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises, and the Bible is full of promises. In Numbers 23, it says that God will never change. God will never lie. He is the only person who can keep his promises, unlike some of my friends in school and in life. We break promises. God keeps them. Now, before we get into the text, I need us to just think about a few of these promises. So these are promises that God has spoken to his people from ancient history until now, and if you want to just lock these in your brain, however you focused best to think and, and trap something in your mind, do this. God, in Genesis chapter 12, promises to bless Abraham and through Abraham's descendants to bless the whole world. So one of his promises, I will bless the whole world through the descendants of Abraham. God promises to be Israel's people and that God will walk with them through their journey to the promised land, Leviticus 26. God promises that if we search for him, we will find him. That's Deuteronomy 4.29. It's not this hide-and-seek game with God. He's not, he's not saying, peekaboo, here I am, now I'm gone. Although it feels that way sometimes. God says, if you search, you will find him. That's Deuteronomy 4.29. 
God promises protection for his children. That's Psalm 121. God promises that his love will never fail. That's 1 Chronicles 16.34. I mean, the list goes on and on. If you want these, you can text the number um, that's up on the thing, and you can, or you can text the number in your bulletin. You can email me. I will send you the promises that I have in my notes because I'm not even reading a tenth of them. God promises salvation to all who believe in his son. That's Romans 1, 16 and 17. God promises that all things is a hard one. God promises that all things will work out for good for his children. God promises in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's a hard one for me because um, that's the verse that we give people. If you grew up in the church, you've heard this verse every time you go through a bad thing. We've talked about this here. I think I've sufficiently just tried to bury that thing. So when someone is going through a difficult time, when someone gets diagnosed with cancer, when, when someone is going through a great loss, the last thing they generally want to hear from you is this verse. You don't want to just go beat somebody in the head with it. Well, you know all things work together for good. You know, you might have just had stage four cancer, but all things work together for good. That doesn't do a lot there. It's like pouring hydrogen peroxide in a fresh wound. Um, it's true, and it's good, but does it actually accomplish what you're hoping it does? Um, this sermon, interestingly, um, was written before this this morning, obviously, and, um, and before last night. And last night, uh, if you, for those of you who don't know, uh, you may be disconnected from it, but I think it strikes at the heart of, of many people in this community. A man named Chris passed away um, tragically. He was the owner of Wayback um, Burgers over here uh, by Publix, and he was throw, he threw a lot of carnivals. He hosted carnivals here in the past, and he was hosting a carnival on Lithia Pinecrest, and he was directing traffic last night and, and was tragically struck by a car and passed away. 44 years old. Um, Three kids and a wife left behind, and he was one of those guys who was everywhere. He, he loved people. He was always trying to give and do things for the community. He was hosting a carnival to honor and raise support for a fallen police officer. I mean, that's what he was doing when he passed away. And you ask the questions, God, you promised you, all these things you promised. Right now, life seems out of sync, whether it's a death of someone you love, whether it's your, your marriage is in shambles, and you thought God would, would magically just keep everything together. Um, it didn't work. God, where are you? Okay, that's this psalm, Psalm 89. So because it's a long psalm, we're going to read and skip and talk, but I would encourage you to read the whole psalm uh, so you can get the gravity of it. So I'm going to read, we'll pray, keep going. This is Psalm 89, verse 1. This is Ethan. This is how he's starting the psalm. He's going to butter up God. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. This is all good stuff. This psalmist is worshiping God right now. Verse three, you have said, I made a covenant. I made a promise with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will, this is what the, the covenant was. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Now, this is good. This is the psalmist setting the stage because the psalmist has a gripe that he's going to get to toward the end of this psalm. But before he gets to the griping, he wants to remind God, God, you said that you would do this. And at this phase of history, here's what's happened. David was the king. He defeated Goliath. Solomon was born. They had this amazing gold temple. People were coming from all over to bring offerings to God's people. And then Solomon's kids began to fight and bicker. And then the once united Israel kingdom was divided in two, Israel and Judah. And then as they pulled away from God, Babylonians came in and they conquered Israel, they conquered Judah. And it's at this period of history when Israel is just shattering, when the descendants of David are being destroyed, that this psalmist is saying, God, where are you? Now, it, if you're like 
me, sometimes we have a tendency to put on God the things that, that we put on, the things that are put on us by other humans. Or let me put it another way. Um, dude, I swear, when God says it, he means it. Okay? Um, it's one of those moments where now the psalmist is going to walk us through how glorious God is. In verses 1 through 4, God is, he says, God, you're good. You established your covenant. You made these promises, God. Now, verse 5 to 18, we're not going to read them. Read them later. But I just, he just goes on this tear of worshiping God. He says, God, nothing compares to you. God, you're greater than all beings of heaven. God, you are strong. God, you are faithful. God, you hold nature in your hand. God, you fight for your people. God, you own everything because you made everything. God, your strength is built on your goodness and justice, love and truth spread out before you. God, being happy is knowing your voice. He just goes in, and he's doing one of those things. We, we do this in um, counseling. You tell people, you, you put the bad news in between two pieces of good news, right? So like when you're going to say something awful to a human being, or as Christians, we say, I'm going to speak the truth in love. That means I'm going to be a jerk, brace for hurricane mouth. Um, well, what we do is we say, you know, because I care about you, and I love you so much, right? We've done this. And if you haven't done this, you're doing marriage wrong. You, I mean, you got to get, get with the train of like nice, bad, nice. And it's like, this is a common, not even spiritual, psychological, you do this, this is how you talk to human beings. Um, but, but now, the psalmist is doing it. Because he's like, God, you've, you're faithful. God, you've done all these amazing things. God, you're strong, you're good, you've got nature, you've got it all. And then, he gets it, he's just laying it on this top cookie of the Oreo. It's, a, it's an Oreo with the, the hard stuff in the middle. We called it something else in school, I can't tell you. Uh, it's a type of sandwich. Okay, he's, he's saying, God, in verse 19, he then goes into the promises. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one, and you said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant. This is God's promise. I have found David. With my holy oil, I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm shall also strengthen him. So now the psalmist, Ethan, he's looking back and saying, everything from David just started to go downhill. But God, you told David you would anoint him, strengthen him, be with him. What is going on? We're getting crushed. We're getting conquered. It feels like you're not keeping your word, Lord. Now it's important that we understand the psalmist wants us to know that God is good and true even when everything feels like it's out of control. The psalmist wants us to know that even though our world is falling apart, from our perspective in the forest, God is above the forest and he is holding all things together. God wants us to know that no matter how much pain we're feeling, he is not absent, though in the midst of pain is often when God feels the most distant. The psalmist wants us to know that no matter anything else around you in your life, God will be a rock for you to stand on, which is why he starts this psalm with praise after praise after praise, and he lists back to God, attribute, God, you are strong, God, you are holy. This is how we should pray every day. Tell God what he is, remind him, so that when you talk to him, you will know this is the God I'm talking to, the God on the throne, the God who controls waves and water and stars. Now, here's the part, verse 38, this is where it gets juicy. This is, the, this is speaking the truth in love type of stuff. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed, against the line of David. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his stronghold in ruins. 
all who pass by plunder him. He has become the son of the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. Man, that, that's, that's bad. This psalmist is going after God. At least this psalmist is honest with God, though. This psalmist tells God all the good things. And then he said, but God, I don't get it. Sometimes we don't understand what God is doing. And this accusation, he's saying, the promises to be close to David, you cast off and rejected. The promises to hold him, you rejected him. The promises to love him and bless him, you are full of wrath against him. The promises to, to be with him in covenant forever, to promise forever, you've renounced it. Now, I, I love this thing. I do it in my house. Um, it's about trusting because it's hard to trust in the midst of difficult times. So I tell my sons, and it's hard, I, I say, we don't promise, don't say I swear, don't say I promise, just whatever you say, let it be. The Bible calls it, let your yes be yes and your no be no. What you say is what it is. And we have this thing, and I just stole this from a, an epic classic film called Hook. Um, Hook is a Peter Pan remake with Robin Williams. And in the beginning of the movie, it really tugs at my own dad issues that I have. But um, basically... Peter Banning, who is Peter Pan, unbeknownst to him because he lost his memory. Sorry, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it, you're lost, not mine. Um, he's got a son named Jack, and Peter's too busy to be with Jack. So he tells Jack, I'm going to be at your next baseball game, Jack. I promise. My word is my bond. And then it cuts to the scene of Jack playing baseball. It's the end of the game. Who's going to win? Jack's up a bat, of course, because it's a fictional story. And he looks around for his dad. Was his dad there? No. He gave his word. His word was his what? Bond. And he keeps doing this in the movie, in the very beginning movie, first 15 minutes. And then they're going on this flight back to see Nana. And the dad says, I'll, I'll be at your next one. My word is my bond. And in the plane, Jack's, Jack has this ball, and, and he throws it up and says, junk bond, which I think is funny because it's economic and dad issue things, so both things that I struggle with. And, and then he, the ball drops, and you see Peter, and his face says, I it is, he knows. He hasn't been keeping his word to his son. He hasn't been faithful. In that moment, for me, I, I love trying to be faithful to my son, and to my, both my sons, and I try to be faithful to my daughter most of the time. My oldest son holds me accountable. I'll tell him something, and he'll say, but you said. And I've trained him to now tell me. When I say something to him, I trained him to tell me back to me a man's word is his bond. Because in my mind, it takes me right back to Jack and Peter on the airplane and the son throwing it, the ball up and saying, junk bond. And I don't want to be a dad who's not there for his kids. So, I, so now my son will tell me, hey, Daddy, at 11.30 yesterday, you said today we would get ice cream. And he'll tell me this like at 8 at night when it's bedtime, of course. And then he'll say, a man's word is his bond. I mean, sometimes I go downstairs and I, I'll just throw ice cream in the blend tech and just milk. Just Here's your milkshake. A man's words is bond, junk bond now. <laughs> sometimes we'll go out. Sometimes I, I can't keep my word because something happens. Like my wife, um, who's been dying for a month, is feeling a, a smidge better. Um, but I told Jackson I would do something with him. I don't remember what it was. But he said, Daddy, you, you told me your word is your bond. And I was like, your mother's dying. And I put him back down. He's like, oh. No, but your word. I'm like, you die now. Because uh, if I kill him, I don't have to keep my word to him. The Bible says that. Eh, not really. Um, but, but this idea of keeping your word is important. 
And the idea of understanding that God never breaks a promise is important even when life is out of control. Even when your marriage is on the rocks, even when somebody like Chris, who's 44, loved the community, three kids, passes away tragically. What do we do when it feels like God's promises aren't applying? What do we do? This psalmist starts with a mega dose of trust, literally just reading out praises to God. And then he complains, and I love this part. I'm going to start reading in verse 49. Lord, this is the end of the psalm. Where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. And then look at verse 52. It is the weirdest verse. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. I mean, he just goes on this tear. God, we're being mocked. God, you're not even with us. Blessed be the name of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. That's not, that's not how I used to end my prayers. It is now because here's what he does. He says, I know who God is. Life doesn't seem to line up. Death, cancer, sickness, broken relationships, hatred. God, I don't get it, but I'll still worship. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, now a lot of this comes to trust and how we trust in the midst of difficult times. How do we trust when God doesn't seem to be keeping his promises? Uh, I I love exercise of trust, right? Um, We all have seen some of them. My favorite personal one is the trust fall. You know that, right? Because if you were caught, that was a miracle. Like nobody catches you on the trust. If you don't know what the trust fall is, it's you fold your arms, close your eyes, and you fall backwards into your friends who say, trust me. I'll catch you, right? You know, have you seen this? Oh, I need a volunteer. Come on, John, volunteer again. You're my two services in a row volunteer. Okay, trust fall. You guys don't seem to be getting it. So here's how trust fall works. Turn this way. I pick him because he's little. I'm not going to pick like Justin Wyatt. I can't hold up a, a Spartan warrior. Uh, okay, uh, okay cr- cross your arms. Close your eyes. And, and what you do in a trust fall is you say, don't open your eyes, okay? You say, uh, do you trust me? They say, I trust you. And you say, fall. Now go ahead and fall. Now this is, oh, that's what we want with God. We all want that with God. God, I'm falling. My world's unraveling. God, what am I going to do? I don't feel like you're in control. We want God to catch us right there. Go ahead, fall. Okay, okay. Okay, go ahead, fall. Oh. Okay. Hey, ready? Go ahead. No, just kidding. <laughs> okay, go sit down now. We, want, we all want God to catch us right here because it feels safe and it's comfortable, and it's cozy. You know where God catches you? A half of a half an inch off the ground. When you're falling so far back that your natural human response is, because you don't think they're there, and if you're in college, they're not. And God says, I've got you right there. I don't know why. I'm not God. I am a mouthpiece. But God, time and time again, through his word, through these stories, says, I show up. When I show up and I love you, my love is not predicated on me showing up when you want me to show up. I will be there when I'm there, and when I'm there is the best time to be there. It's like Gandalf, the wizard. I know. Some of you guys are like, seriously, another nerd story? How much Tolkien do you know? A lot. Uh, uh, Gandalf shows up. When does a wizard arrive? Precisely when he means to. 
I just need some more nerd love in here, okay? Um, I only read literally like three fiction books, and I just recycle them, and that's one of them. So you're lost my game. Um, But God arrives precisely when he means to. Now, in this psalmist, the psalmist is saying, God, you're not here, but you should be. God is in heaven saying, no, 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 precisely when I mean to is when I arrive. Precisely when it's for the maximum good of my people is when I arrive. I may be, God is being mocked, God's anointed is being mocked, but this psalmist recognizes, even though this mocking is going on, even though the, this Babylon is coming in and destroying God's people, even though people are mocking David, mocking the throne of God, he recognizes in the very end, but he says, blessed be the Lord forever and ever, amen. This is where we have to bring our issues to. We, we take the areas of brokenness and we say, God, it doesn't make sense, but I will trust you. Now, God, I don't understand why this person had to get this illness. I don't understand why this had to happen to this child. And, I, and I've been involved in some horrific things. I've had to sit in funerals where children and youth have died. I've had to be there in funerals where families have lost husbands and or wives. Horrific, horrific times for which the answers are given. God, God is with them and God does care for them. But it's hard. Because one thing that happens with problems and pain is that we focus right here. We all have a perspective. And this is our perspective. Whatever you are, your your background, your DNA, your nature and nurture, they make up the the way you see the world. The things you listen to and watch and the things that form you, the books you read, the magazines you read, they shape your perspective on what is good and what gives happiness and joy and stability in life. We all have a perspective. In the midst of pain, you can generally only see what's right in front of you. Pain makes you focus on the present. Pain gives you a certain perspective that, that puts on blinders. Now, perspective is, is something that I, I appreciate as a person because I'm tall. And people point that out to me all the time, like as if I didn't know. And sometimes I admit, like I'm a little passive aggressive. People say, wow, you're tall. And I'm like, oh, you just noticed? Like, you know, I don't, I don't get it. Or they'll say, do you, do, do you play basketball? No but I'm a pro miniature golf player. What size shoe do you wear? Bigger than you. I have hobbit feet, but with a regular sized body for a hobbit. And, and I just confuse people. But perspective is interesting because uh, my perspective is this. I don't know that I'm tall. I don't feel tall. I feel like everyone can see when male pattern baldness is coming on to you guys. But apparently some of you can't, but I do. I see male pattern baldness before you guys do. If you want to know if that's you, just ask me and I'll say yes or no. The other thing that I know is that because I'm tall, you have to look straight at my nose. And I'm tall and Asian, so that's a twofer. Big nostrils, upward nose, it's a loss for you unless I'm trimming with my little grooming things. Because I'm tall. I don't, you know what? No one looks up your nose except for your children. Imagine if you had people looking up your nose all the time. When I go to order coffee, I'm like, hey, my name's Ryan, I need coffee. Perspective. Another perspective of being tall is that when I'm in crowds, I see over them. When I sit down, I think, this is creepy. How do you navigate when there's people in front of you? I don't understand. How do you know where you're even going? When I'm tall in the rain, people pop out their umbrellas. God made me the perfect height for umbrella spikes in my eyeballs. Every five foot six person with an umbrella is a murderer. Okay? This is perspective. Some of you have never thought about this. Seriously. Some of you stand up on chairs and you've joked, look, Pastor Ryan, I'm as tall as you. That's weird, right? Like, what if I did that to you? Hey, look, I'm as tall as you. <laughs> like, it doesn't seem right. I think you feel like that's heightist. Heightism. But, 
Now, that's just the, the joking side of perspective. Because the reality is that we are all locked into a perspective, and there are only a few things that can change us. Pain shakes us to a new perspective, which is why oftentimes when people go through pain, they look for something that's a better answer than what they had, because obviously the answers they had weren't working, which is why after 9-11, churches packed out, which is why after someone passes away that they're close to, church people go to church gatherings, because they're looking for an answer that's better than the one they had. The problem is that our perspective generally just changes for a minute, and then we have perspective creep, where it starts creeping back over to our old perspective because we've been doing something for so long. The only things that I've found that can change perspective are taking tangible actions to change what comes into your mind, ears, heart, and soul. And I'm not talking about being one of the fundamentalist type people, you know, the answer for me, every problem when I first got saved was this. If I had an issue going on, a sin, they first response, have you been reading your Bible? Have you been praying? Now imagine how frustrating that is when all you do is read your Bible and pray. This is like when I was fresh, fresh into Christianity. I didn't know any better. I'm like, I'm just going to read my Bible, pray, and lead people to Jesus. And that's how they made me a pastor. If I knew they were going to make me a pastor, I would have done other stuff. But but I would be reading my Bible and praying, and then I'd say, this is going on in my life. I don't understand, and I don't know why we still say it to this day. I've heard it at this chapel family. Have you been reading your Bible and praying? As if that's like a key to God's great cauldron of pixie dust that fixes every situation. Oh, wait, you mean if I read my Bible and pray, then I get to command God to do my will? No, but we, we talk that way sometimes. Reading your Bible and praying is good. I don't think any of us in here do it enough. I don't want you to do it, though, for some cosmic key. I want you to do it because you want to do it. I had one of the the elders here um, said before, he said, ah, do I have to talk to people if I don't see anybody that's not new to me? I said, you don't have to, but if you don't want to, we got a problem. You should want to read the Bible. You should want to pray. If you don't want to pray, you got a problem. You need a perspective switch. So this is, the psalmist is trying to navigate this perspective switch because his life and his nation, his country, his people are in ruins. He doesn't get it, so he's asking God to remind him, God, I know you're these things, but remind me. Keep your promises, God. How long will it go on? Well, this went on for a long time. The the nation of Israel was plundered and destroyed, and then if you keep reading the Old Testament, their wall gets rebuilt in Ezra and Nehemiah, um, and, and then you see this amazing story of God slowly rebuilding his people, and then Jesus comes, and the rest is history as we know it. The thing that, that I was thinking about, because there are a lot of people who knew or know, you, know, Chris, know Chris. He's, he's an eternal, we're all eternal beings, either here or there. That they've said, you know, I knew they were in pain, so I thought, God, this, this story, is, it's crazy that you would line up this sermon on this Sunday. That it's hard to believe in God's promises when tragedy especially happens. I need us to think about something, and I love this concept. Um... My little brother, my middle brother, he's getting deployed again. Every time he gets deployed, I don't know why this happens, but I cry like a good day, like I have a solid good cry, and I don't know when it comes on me. It came on me this morning because he left this weekend, and, uh, and every time he leaves, he's going to, like, fight somewhere. And, um, and if you don't know my brother, he's a, he, he's a, he likes this stuff when he's in battle. He wants to win. He's one of those, you know, American guys. They, sh- they should put him on a poster. Um, but I'm, as an older brother, I'm thinking, I don't want him to die. So it just comes to my mind. Pow. So on my way to the chapel this morning, I felt it coming. 
said, okay, my eyes are going to get sweaty. Here it comes. And then I, I remember this verse. This is what I remind myself of when I'm going through hard times, when I feel like God doesn't care, when I feel like God is far. I go to Matthew chapter 10, and I, and I just say this part in my head, um, verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Now, now that's it for me. I go right there. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? That penny is cheap. A penny is not a lot of money. And that verse says that not one of those inexpensive birds will fall on any branch around the world with, apart from God. God is with the sparrows, the one penny or two Two sparrows for a penny, half penny worth sparrow. You are much more valuable than a sparrow. You are purchased with the blood of the Son of God. Vastly expensive. The most costly thing that has ever existed. For us to think that we are apart from God, whether it's in the midst of a, a bad marriage, a bad workplace, a bad situation, a tragedy, we feel as if God is so far, but God says, the sparrow will not fall apart from my Father. God is with us in the pain. And here's another thing that this verse teaches me that, that points me back to the promises of Psalm 89. It's that Jesus tells us that sparrows will fall. We are all guaranteed brevity of life. We are all going to pass away and in the psalm that we're studying this morning, it says in verse 7, Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol, from the power of death? The psalmist says we're all here for a blink. One of the benefits of, uh, of hanging out with people on their deathbed is that you get to get perspective shift. And, and here's what happens. In our lives, we get pain, we have problems, we focus on the present. When you get a perspective shift of someone who's dying, when you get a perspective shift of a tragedy, you can finally start to fly above the forest and you see more clearly. This is what we need in the midst of difficult times. You need to ask God, Lord, you're faithful, you are above this, you're in control. Give me that perspective. And we'll fly above the forest of life like a drone and look down and you'll begin to see the forest ends right there. The forest, it's over. I get clear green pastures in a stream right over here. But when you're in the middle of it, you can't see it. Jesus says that the sparrows will fall. People will die. Life is brief. When I talk to people on their deathbeds, they say something that's terrifying. They'll say things like this. Man, I was your age just yesterday. I think, you were my age yesterday. You aged terribly. I try to use humor when they're dying to go see Jesus. <laughs> it's so messed up. You know, that guy's like, I'm writing that down for my dad and my mom. Gotcha. It's messed up, man. But seriously. Or, you know, a very common one. I don't feel as old as I look. You know, it's, it's me now. I used to hear people say, that, like, wait, what do you mean you don't feel as old as you look? And now I wake up in the morning, I'm like, dang. I get haircuts now to literally cut out the gray hair. That's the only reason. I don't go by length anymore. I go by when certain amounts of gray hair start saying, hello. I'm like, oh, I got to go see my hair person. 
My vision is going. I mean, I don't even, yep, nope. I mean, just for words, I could see your faces. Perspective. How do we get it? First, remind yourself of God's promises. Second, be honest with God in prayer like this psalmist was. Tell God your gripes. Third, end with that line. Blessed be the Lord forever. I don't get it, and I don't get it. Imagine if we ended our real prayers with a faith-forward ending. Imagine if we could begin to see our life perspective from heaven. Another great movie, Changed My Life Forever, Prince of Egypt. Not to be confused with the Charlton Heston version, which also changed my life forever. But in the Prince of Egypt, they have a song called Look at Your Life Through Heaven's Eyes. It's one of the most amazing songs. If you have not danced around your living room and sung into the bottom of a hairbrush to this song, you're missing out on the finer things. I mean, I've heard. The song says, look at your life through heaven's eyes. But it says with a deep, husky God voice, look at your life. Look at your life through heaven's eyes. And it's a, in the song, it like pans up and up and up and up. And you see down, and they're looking at the wedding. And, and there's some perspective that we don't get in the midst of pain that we need. The easiest way to find perspective is to get someone else around you that has a different perspective. So it's, it's why, and I'm not just saying height, short, old, young, but that works too. But if you're going through a hard time, it's good to have someone near you that's gone through a hard time. If you've lost someone you love, it's good to have someone near you that has lost someone that they have loved. Because they know all the stupid things not to say. And they know some of the things that might have helped them. And they're not going to put band-aids on the the gash. They're going to treat you with the respect and patience that you deserve as a human. But they have perspective. They've seen what God has done and carried them through. The Bible is a story of a heavenly perspective of God saying, I will accomplish my purpose, but it's not in the way you thought or saw coming. It's why it feels like God is catching us at half inch before we hit the ground. We think it's late. But God has us learning that that is always on time. It's why God meets us not when we are sliding down the rope, but when we are at the end of our ropes. These things change our perspective. We know that it's true in life, but for some reason we forget that it's true in spiritual existence and realm. We know that when we're going down a rope and we slide to the end of it, that our heart flutters differently. We know that when we are faced with a threat or a difficulty, We process a certain way. I would hope, and my prayer, is that that you and I would begin to have this perspective change on life. That when life's pains begin to crush us, we would learn how to step back, find someone, I call it the up-down, side-to-side. Find someone that pours into you, a mentor. Find someone that you're pouring into, a mentee. Or find someone to walk with, a side-to-side. We all need all of these people. We don't always have them all the time. Sometimes you have an up and a side and no down. Sometimes you have a side and a down but no up. But just remind yourself, I will make it through this life more efficiently if I have an up, down, or side to side. People that can give me a perspective. People that can point me back to here. People that if we are in life's forest and it's getting difficult and we can't see, it's the the good friend that says, hey, I'll give you a boost. And they boost you up on their shoulders. Causes them some pain because they're with you, holding you, being near you, praying for you. But they get your head up just above the tree canopy so you can see. God does have a plan. And God's plan for this psalmist, although the psalmist here, Ethan Ezra Height, could not see it, Ethan wrote it into his book. Because he says, who can live forever? What man can live and never see death? Answer, starts with a J, rhymes with Jesus right behind me. 
Yes, thank you. A plus. Jesus, who can deliver his soul from the power of death. Starts with the J, ends with the Jesus, right behind me. Jesus, thank you. A plus, students. All the adults fail. They're like, is it squirrel? I don't know. <laughs> the psalmist was pointing toward a king who would never be dethroned, toward a ruler who would conquer sin and death forever, to Jesus, who, where David beat the, si- the, the, the giant uh, uh, of Gath, Jesus beat the giant of sin and death. This psalmist was saying, your promises don't make sense, God, I don't get it, because the promises were fulfilled in Jesus. The Bible says later on that that Jesus is the yes answer to all of the problems and questions that we have. Jesus is the answer when we feel like things are far off, and not just ethereal Jesus, Jesus in the flesh. Jesus will be there to boost you up and help you see above the forest when no one else will be. Jesus will be there when you are falling and you feel like you've lost a grip at the end of your rope. Jesus is the person who will catch you at the bottom of your trust fall every single time because he promises to. Jesus is the person who, when you get hurt, will be there to mend you and mold you and shape you to look more like who you were created to be. Jesus is the one who often will let us walk through and traverse trials, but none that he did not traverse himself on your behalf and mine. Jesus is the one who, when the world is dark, will send a pin prick of light into the midst of the pain and begin to tear it open until you see God's love because there is not one sparrow that falls apart from the care of your father. Sparrows will fall. Difficulties will happen. Be honest with God. Claim the promises that he's given you and wait for the timing that he's prepared for you. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are kind. You love us. Lord, we don't understand why senseless tragedies happen, but you do. God, right now, there are many in this community whose perspective is is rooted in the pain. Help our perspectives to rest on your promises. God, there are many of us here who are just consumed with the present-day struggles. Help us look forward to our future perfection in Christ. God, there will be a world where there will be no more crying or pain or tears. There will be a world, it is coming, where you will push back hell and darkness forever. We look forward with hope to that world. God, I pray for those who knew Chris and and know his family, that, that they would step into the gap to be loving people, that they would themselves study the promises that you have regarding life and death, that they would cling to those and they would encourage Chris's wife and children with them. Lord, I pray that for those of us in here who are going through difficult seasons, God, I pray for marriages in here that are struggling, that people saying that there's no way out of their bad marriage, that they would pull their head out of the pain and the problems and get some perspective rooted on your promises. God, this is all for you. This is all about you. Lord, make us people who are obsessed with your perspective and not ours. In Jesus' name, amen.